Chapter 18 of The Flying Inn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola K. The Flying Inn by G. K. Chesterton. Chapter 18 The Republic of Peaceways. In a hamlet round about Windermere, let us say, or somewhere in Wordsworth's country, there could be found a cottage, in which could be found a cottager. So far all is as it should be, and the visitor would first be conscious of a hearty and even noisy elderly man, with an apple face and a short white beard. This person would then loudly proffer to the visitor the opportunity of seeing his father a somewhat more elderly man with a somewhat longer white beard but still up and about and these two together would then initiate the neophyte into the joys of the society of a grandfather who was more than a hundred years old and still very proud of the fact this miracle it seemed had been worked entirely on milk the subject of this diet the oldest of the three men continued to discuss in enormous detail. For the rest, it might be said that his pleasures were purely arithmetical. Some men count their years with dismay, and he counted his with a juvenile vanity. Some men collect stamps or coins, and he collected days. Newspaper men interviewed him about the historic times through which he had lived, without eliciting anything whatever except that he had apparently taken to an exclusive milk diet at about the age when most of us leave it off asked if he was alive in eighteen fifteen he said that was the very year he found it wasn't any milk but must be mountain milk like dr meadows says nor would his calculating creed of life have allowed him to understand you if you had said that in a meadowland over sea that lies before the city of brussels boys of his old school in that year gained the love of the gods and died young it was the philanthropic dr meadows of course who discovered this deathless tribe and erected on it the whole of his great dietetic philosophy to say nothing of the houses and dairies of peaceways he attracted many pupils and backers among the wealthy and influential young men who were so to speak training for extreme old age infant old men embryo nonagenarians it would be an exaggeration to say that they watched joyfully for the first white hair as fascination fledgeby watched for his first whisker but it is quite true to say that they seemed to have scorned the beauty of woman and the feasting of friends and above all the old idea of death with glory in comparison with this vision of the sports of second childhood peaceways was in its essential plan much like what we call a garden city a ring of buildings where the workpeople did their work with a pretty ornamental town in the centre where they lived in the open country outside 
This was no doubt much healthier than the factory system in the great towns, and may have partly accounted for the serene expression of Dr. Meadows and his friends, if any part of the credit can be spared from the splendors of mountain milk. The place lay far from the common highways of England, and its inhabitants were enabled to enjoy their quiet skies and level woods almost undisturbed, and fully absorb whatever may be valuable in the meadow's method and view, until one day a small and very dirty motor drove into the middle of their town. It stopped beside one of those triangular islets of grass that are common at forked roads, and two men in goggles one tall and the other short got out and stood on the central space of grass as if they were buffoons about to do tricks as indeed they were before entering the town they had stopped by a splendid mountain stream quickening and thickening rapidly into a river unhelmed and otherwise eased themselves, eaten a little bread bought at Whittington, and drank the water of the widening current which opened on the valley of Peaceways. I'm beginning quite to like water, said the taller of the two knights. I used to think it a most dangerous drink. In theory, of course, it ought only to be given to people who are fainting. It's really good for them, much better than brandy. Besides, think of wasting good brandy on people who are fainting but i don't go so far as i did i shouldn't insist on a doctor's prescription before i allow people water that was the too severe morality of youth that was my innocence and goodness i thought that if i fell once water drinking might become a habit but i do see the good side of water now how good it is when you're really thirsty how it glitters and gurgles how alive it is after all it's the best of drinks after the other as it says in the song feast on wine or fast on water and your honour shall stand sure god almighty's son and daughter he the valiant she the pure if an angel out of heaven brings you other things to drink thank him for his kind intentions go and pour them down the sink tea is like the east he grows in a great yellow mandarin with urbanity of manner and unconsciousness of sin all the women like a harem at his pigtail troop along and like all the east he grows in he is poison when he's strong tea although an oriental is a gentleman at least cocoa is a cad and coward cocoa is a vulgar beast Coco is a dull, disloyal, lying, crawling, cad and clown, and may very well be grateful to the fool that takes him down. As for all the windy waters, they were rained like trumpets down, when good drink had been dishonored by the tipplers of the town, when red wine had brought red ruin and the death-dance of our times, heaven sent us soda-water as a torment for our crimes. Upon my soul this water tastes quite nice. I wonder what vintage now, and he smacked his lips with solemnity. It tastes just like the year 1881 tasted. You can fancy anything in the tasting way, returned his shorter companion. Mr. Jack, who was always up to his tricks, did serve plain water in those little glasses they drink liqueurs out of, and everyone swore it was a delicious liqueur and wanted to know where they could get it.
all except old Admiral Guffin, who said it tasted too strong of olives. But water's much the best for our game, certainly. Patrick nodded and then said, I doubt if I could do it, if it weren't for the comfort of looking at that. And he kicked the rum keg, and feeling we shall have a good swig at it some day. It feels like a fairy tale carrying that about, as if rum were a pirate's treasure, as if it were molten gold. Besides, we can have such fun with it with other people. What was that joke I thought of this morning? Oh, I remember. Where's that milk can of mine? For the next twenty minutes he was industriously occupied with his milk can and the cask. Pump watching him with an interest amounting to anxiety. Lifting his head, however, at the end of that time, he nodded his red brows and said, "'What's that?' "'What's what?' asked the other traveller. "'That,' said Captain Patrick Dalroy, and pointed to a figure approaching on the road parallel to the river. "'I mean, what's it for?' The figure had a longish beard and very long hair falling far below its shoulders. It had a serious and steadfast expression." It was dressed in what the inexperienced Mr. Pump at first took to be its nightgown, but afterward learned it to be its complete goat's hair tunic, unmixed even with a thread of the destructive and deadly wool of the sheep. It had no boots on its feet. It walked very swiftly to a particular turn of the stream and then turned very sharply, since it had accomplished its constitutional, and walked back toward the perfect town of Peaceways. I suppose it's somebody from that milk place, said Humphrey Pump indulgently. They seem to be pretty mad. I don't mind that so much, said Dalroy. I'm mad myself sometimes. But a madman has only one merit and last link with God. A madman is always logical. Now what is the logical connection between living on milk and wearing your hair long? Most of us lived on milk when we had no hair at all. How do they connect it up? Are there any heads even for a synopsis? Is it, say, milk, water, shaving water, shaving, hair? Is it milk, kindness, unkindness, convicts, hair? What is the logical connection between having too much hair and having far too few boots? What can it be? Is it hair, hair trunk, leather trunk, leather boots? Is it hair, beard, oysters, seaside, paddling, no boots? Man is liable to err, especially when every mistake he makes is called a movement. But why should all the lunacies live together? Because all the lunatics should live together, said Humphrey, and if you'd seen what happened up at Crampton with the farming out idea, you'd know. It's all very well, Captain, but if people can prevent a guest of great importance being buried up to the neck in farm manure, they will. They will, really. He coughed almost apologetically. He was about to attempt a resumption of the conversation when he saw his companion slap the milk can and keg back into the car and get into it himself. You drive, he said. Drive me where those things live. You know, Hump. They did not, however, arrive in the civic center of such things without yet another delay. They left the river and followed the man with the long hair and the goatskin frock, and he stopped as it happened at a house on the outskirts of the village. The adventurers stopped also, out of curiosity, and were at first relieved to see the man almost instantly reappear, having transacted his business with a quickness that seemed incredible. 
A second glance showed them it was not the man, but another man dressed exactly like him. A few minutes more of inquisitive delay showed them many of the kilty and goatish sect going in and out of this particular place, each clad in his innocent uniform. This must be the temple and chapel, muttered Patrick. It must be here they sacrifice a glass of milk to a cow, or whatever it is they do. Well, the joke is pretty obvious, but we must wait for a lull in the crowding of the congregation. When the last long-haired phantom had faded up the road, Delroy sprang from the car and drove the signboard deep into the earth with savage violence, and then very quietly knocked at the door. The apparent owner of the place, of whom the two last of the long-haired and barefooted idealists were taking a rather hurried farewell, was a man curiously ill-fitted for the part he seemed cast for in the only possible plot. Both Pump and Delroy thought they had never seen a man look so sullen. His face was of the rubicund sort that does not suggest jollity, but merely a stagnant indigestion in the head. His moustache hung heavy and dark, his brows yet heavier and darker. Dalroy had seen something of the sort on the faces of defeated people, disgracefully forced into submission, but he could not make head or tail of it in connection with the priggish perfections of peaceways. It was all the odder because he was manifestly prosperous. His clothes were smartly cut in something of the sporting manner, and the inside of his house was at least four times grander than the outside. But what mystified the most was this, that he did not so much exhibit the natural curiosity of a gentleman whose private house is entered by strangers, but rather an embarrassed and restless expectation. During Dalroy's eager apologies and courteous inquiries about the direction and accommodations of peaceways, his eye, which was of the boiled gooseberry order, perpetually wandered from them to the cupboard and then again to the window, and at last he got up and went to look out into the road. "'Oh, yes, sir, very healthy place, peaceways,' he said, peering through the lattice. "'Very, dash it, what do they mean?' a very healthy place of course they have their little ways only drink pure milk don't they asked dalroy the householder looked at him with a rather wild eye and grunted yes so they say and he went again to the window i've bought some of it said patrick patting his pet milk can which he carried under his arm as if unable to be separated from dr meadow's discovery have a glass of milk sir the man's boiled eye began to bulge in anger or some other emotion. "'What do you want?' he muttered. "'Are you tex or what?' "'Agents and distributors of the Meadows Mountain Milk,' said the captain with simple pride. "'Taste it?' The dazed householder took a glass of the blameless liquid and sipped it, and the change on his face was extraordinary. "'Well, I'm jiggered,' he said with a broad and rather coarse grin. "'That's a queer dodge.' You're in the joke, I see. Then he went again restlessly to the window and added, But if we're all friends, why the blazes don't the others come in? I've never known trade so slow before. Who are the others? asked Mr. Pump. Oh, the usual peaceways people, said the other. They generally come here before work. Dr. Meadows don't work them for very long hours. That wouldn't be healthy or whatever he calls it. But he's particular about their being punctual. I've seen em running with all their pure-minded togs on, 
when the hooter gave the last call. Then he abruptly opened the front door and called out impatiently, but not loudly, "'Come along in if you're coming. You'll give the show away if you play the fool out there.' Patrick looked out also, and the view of the road outside was certainly rather singular. He was used to crowds, large and small, collecting outside houses which he had honoured with the sign of the old ship, but they generally stared up at it in unaffected wonder and amusement. But outside this open door, some twenty or thirty persons in what Pump had called their nightgowns were moving to and fro like somnambulists, apparently blind to the presence of the sign. Looking at the other side of the road, looking at the horizon, looking at the clouds of morning, and only occasionally stopping to whisper to each other. But when the owner of the house called to one of these ostentatiously abstracted beings, and asked him hoarsely what the devil was the matter, it was natural for the milk-fed one to turn his feeble eye toward the sign. The gooseberry eyes followed his, and the face to which they belonged was a study in apoplectic astonishment. "'What the hell have you done to my house?' he demanded. "'Of course they can't come in if this thing's here.' "'I'll take it down if you like,' said Dalroy, stepping out and picking it up like a flower from the front garden, to the amazement of the men in the road, who thought they had strayed into a nursery fairy tale. "'But I wish in return you'd give me some idea of what the blazes all this means.' "'Wait till I've served these men,' replied his host." the goat-garbed persons went very sheepishly or goatishly into the now signless building and were rapidly served with raw spirits which mr pump suspected to be of no very superior quality when the last goat was gone captain dalroy said i mean that all this seems to me topsy-turvy i understood that as the law stands now if there's a sign they are allowed to drink and if there isn't they aren't the law said the man in a voice thick with scorn do you think these poor brutes are afraid of the law as they are of the doctor why should they be afraid of the doctor asked dalroy innocently i always heard that peaceways was a self-governing republic self-governing be damned was the illiberal reply don't he own all the houses and could turn em out in a snowstorm don't he pay all the wages and could starve em stiff in a month the law and he snorted. A moment after, he squared his elbows on the table and began to explain more fully. I was a brewer about here and had the biggest brewery in these parts. There were only two houses which didn't belong to me, and the magistrates took away their licenses after a time. Ten years ago you could see Hugby's Ales written beside every sign in the county. Then came these cursed radicals, and our leader, Lord Ivywood, must go over to their side about it, and let this doctor buy all the land under some new law that there shan't be any pubs at all. And so my business is ruined, so that he can sell his milk. Luckily I'd done pretty well before, and had some compensation, of course, and I still do a fair trade on the QT, as you see. But of course that don't amount to half the old one, for they're afraid of old Meadows finding out, snuffling old blighter. And the gentleman with the good clothes spat on the carpet. I am a radical myself, said the Irishman rather coldly. For all information on the Conservative Party, I must refer you to my friend Mr. Pump, who is, of course, in the inmost secrets of his leaders. But it seems to me very rum sort of radicalism to eat and drink at the orders of a master who is a madman. 
merely because he's also a millionaire. Oh, liberty, what very complicated and even unsatisfactory social developments are committed in thy name. Why don't they kick the old ass round the town a bit? No boots? Is that why they're allowed no boots? Oh, roll em down hill in a milk can. He can't object to that. I don't know, said Pump in his ruminant way. Master Christian's aunt did, but ladies are more particular, of course. Look here, cried Delroy in some excitement. If I stick up that sign outside and stay here to help, will you defy them? You'd be strictly within the law, and any private coercion I can promise you they shall repent. Plant the sign and sell the stuff openly like a man, and you may stand in English history like a deliverer. Mr. Hugby of Hugby's Ales only looked gloomily at the table. His was not the sort of drinking nor the sort of drink-selling on which the revolutionary sentiment flourishes. "'Well,' said the captain, "'will you come with me and say, "'Hear, hear, and how true? "'What matchless eloquence! "'If I make a speech in the marketplace, "'come along. "'There's room in our car.' "'Well, I'll come with you, if you like,' replied Mr. Hugby heavily. "'It's true, if yours is allowed, "'we might get our trade back, too.' and putting on a silk hat he followed the captain and the innkeeper out to their little car. The model village was not an appropriate background for Mr. Hugby's silk hat. Indeed, the hat seemed somehow to bring out, by contrast, all that was fantastic in the place. It was a superb morning, some hours after sunrise. The edges of the sky, touching the ring of dim woods and distant hills, were still jeweled with the tiny transparent clouds of daybreak, delicate red and green or yellow. But above the vault of heaven rose through turquoise into a torrid and solid blue in which the other clouds, the colossal cumuli, tumbled about like a celestial pillow-fight. The bulk of the houses were as white as the clouds, so that it looked, to use another simile, as if some of the whitewashed cottages were flying and falling about the sky. But most of the white houses were picked out here and there with bright colours, here an ornament in orange, or there a stripe of lemon yellow, as if by the brush of a baby giant. The houses had no thatching. Thatching is not hygienic but were mostly covered with a sort of peacock green tiles bought cheap at a pre-raphaelite bazaar or less frequently by some still more esoteric sort of terracotta bricks the houses were not english nor homelike nor suited to the landscape for the houses had not been built by free men for themselves but at the fancy of a whimsical lord but considered as a sort of elfin city in a pantomime, it was a really picturesque background for pantomimic proceedings. I fear Mr. Delroy's proceedings from the first rather deserved that name. To begin with, he left the sign, the cask, and the keg all wrapped and concealed in the car, but removed all the wraps of his own disguise and stood on the central patch of grass in that green uniform that looked all the more insolent for being as ragged as the grass even that was less ragged than his red hair which no red jungle of the east could imitate then he took out almost tenderly the large milk can and deposited it almost reverently on the island of turf then he stood beside it like napoleon beside a gun with an expression of tremendous seriousness and even severity. 
Then he drew his sword, and with that flashing weapon, as with a flail, lashed and thrashed the echoing metal can till the din was deafening, and Mr. Hugby hastily got out of the car and withdrew to a slight distance, stopping his ears. Mr. Pump sat solidly at the steering wheel, well knowing it might be necessary to start in some haste. "'Gather! Gather! Gather, peaceways!' shouted Patrick, still banging on the can and lamenting the difficulties of adapting MacGregor's gathering to the name and occasion, where landless, 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 peaceways! Two or three of the goat-clad, recognizing Mr. Hugby with a guilty look, drew near with great caution, and the captain shouted at them as if they were an army covering Salisbury Plain. "'Citizens!' he roared, saying anything that came into his head. "'Try the only original, unadulterated mountain milk, for which alone Mohammed came to the mountain. The original milk of the land flowing with milk and honey, the high quality of which could alone have popularized so unappetizing a combination.' Try our milk. None others are genuine. Who can do without milk? Even whales can't do without milk. If any lady or gentleman keeps a favorite whale at home, now's their chance. The early whale catches the milk. Just look at our milk. If you say you can't look at the milk because it's in the can, well, look at the can. You must look at the can. You simply must. When duty whispers low, thou must. He bellowed at the top of his voice in a highly impromptu peroration. When duty whispers low, thou must, the youth replies, I can. And with the word can, he hit the can with a shocking and shattering noise, like a peal of demoniac bells of steel. This introductory speech is open to criticism from those who regard it as intended for the study rather than the stage. The present chronicler, who has no aim save truth, is bound to record that for its own unscrupulous purpose it was extremely successful. A great mass of the citizens of Peaceways, having been attracted by the noise of one man shouting like a crowd. There are crowds who do not care to revolt. But there are no crowds who do not like someone else to do it for them, a fact which the safest oligarchs may be wise to learn. But Dalroy's ultimate triumph, I regret to say, consisted in actually handing to a few of the foremost of his audience some samples of his blameless beverage. The fact was certainly striking. Some were paralyzed with surprise. Some were abruptly broken double with laughter many chuckled some cheered all looked radiantly toward the eccentric orator and yet the radiance died quietly and suddenly from their faces and only because one little old man had joined the group a little old man in white linen with a white pointed beard and a white powder puff of hair like thistledown a man whom almost every man present could have killed with the left arm End of chapter 18 Recording by Nicole Kaye